Hello, everyone. Welcome again to another episode of I'm Glad You Asked. This week, we're looking at individuality in school. Well, we're in that season again. No, not springtime. Standardized testing season. We're in the midst of completing the California Assessment of Student Performance and Progress, the CASP. Before this, we used to have the California High School Exit Exam, which would be abbreviated C-H-S-E-E, which we began calling the cheesy test. Now, I have no proof of this, but a few years into the test administration, the abbreviation for California went from just a C to a C-A, specifically to stop us from calling the test cheesy. Like I said, I can't prove that there was ever an official directive from someone in power, but I find it suspicious that all of a sudden administrators were calling it the Casey test rather prominently. If there's one thing higher-ups in education don't like, it's someone making fun of their acronyms. Anyway, what's the current test, the CASP? I'm glad you asked. It is a multi-day battery of tests in English, math, and science designed to make money for the Smarter Balanced Assessment Consortium, which sounds very much like the front company for an evil villain organization. The SBAC people are in turn under the Educational Testing Service, which is a non-profit organization that makes a ton of profit. Make no mistake, we're paying for this to the tune of about $240 million. That's how much the state of California pays ETS over a three-year contract to administer this test. But don't worry, fewer than 1% of the people hired by ETS to grade these tests, which include essays, short answers, math formulae, and other subjective answers, are teachers. Yes, fewer than 1%. But I'm not here to talk about the many, many shortcomings of standardized tests. Why well, I am, but I just thought I'd say that. Hell, in my job as an advanced placement language and composition teacher, I spend virtually all year getting the students ready to pass a different standardized test. I'm not against all testing, not even all standardized testing. I represent the man, as it were, so I accept that part of my job is to tell kids to stop running in the halls, tell them to make room for the Holy Ghost when they dance, and willfully misunderstand teenage jargon so my kids feel like they're putting something over on me. I've cultivated a sort of lovable ignorance over the years where I pretend to not know what video games or apps are popular, what jargon means, and who Miley Bieber and Justin Cyrus are. See? I did it again. I, I keep up with the Kardashians. What I am here to talk about is how, inevitably, school systems eat away at students' individuality as seen by their teachers and the system itself. There's no other way to put this. The system discourages us from seeing students as unique individuals. Humans are pattern-seeking individuals who look for mental shortcuts when assessing large chunks of data. That's why we tend to pigeonhole people based on their race, their gender, or their t-shirt with a picture of Kiss frontman Gene Simmons. We determine individuals of races to hold characteristics. We determine individual attributes based on gender. And we assume the Kiss t-shirt kid either grabbed a shirt from his stepdad's pile of almost clean laundry by mistake, or is just a fan of huge tongues. We do something similar with the piles of students tossed at us in school. I have 137 AP students in four classes. Add in 25 football players in my weight training class and another 16 in what's called intervention class, 
we don't surround a student and demand they stop mainlining heroin into their eyeballs or something, but we are taking extraordinary measures on those kids to better their grades and improve their skills. And the number of students I have to get to know has risen to 178, therefore. 178 individuals, each one with his or her own history, personality, needs, wants, strengths, weaknesses, allergies, favorite ungulates, and levels of discomfort with Ed Sheeran. I'm forced by the system to begin to find shortcuts to get to know them. Personally, I try to resist this when I can. I try, and I fail all too often, I readily admit, to understand the kids on an individual level. I am horrible at names. I think I reached my capacity long ago. And now, when I meet a student and she tells me her name is Ashley, I add it to the pile of the 54 Ashleys I've had over the past 27 years. Names run together in my mind, and I can feel the slippery rock face of my memory overgrown with slimy moss, preventing any new name from sticking. But beyond the name problem, I try to learn what I can about as many of my students as I can. It's uphill work, obviously. And this testing situation doesn't help. The test reduces the student to a series of answers, and from there, reduces the student down to a datum, which is added to all the other pieces of data, to form an aggregate score, which we use to determine the overall performance of the school itself, and my god, the sentence is the most boring one ever written. What's worse is that the students are buying into this. They think of themselves as a GPA, a class rank, a series of scores and numbers and judgments given to them by people like me. Look, despite my towering intellect, Solomon-like wisdom, and frighteningly good looks, I cannot sit in judgment of anyone. Sure, I can assess my students' work, tell them in my informed opinion, here's what's working and here's what's not on an essay or something, and report my findings to whatever authorities ask for them. I realize that sounds like judgment, but what I mean is I cannot judge an individual student's worth as a person. I can only say that, at this time and in this place, my assessment of their skills is such and so. Now, you may think I'm parsing meaning of words here, that if I assess a student's performance on an assignment, then I am indeed judging them, and no amount of linguistic ledger domain can hide that. I don't think so, damn your eyes. I cannot judge all the factors that led a particular student to that particular place. I can't say which students' hardships are more severe than another's. In fact, in some of my more contemplative moods, I often feel like even those students we call lazy or unmotivated, or my favorite new educational term, reluctant learners, even those students cannot be judged. That doesn't mean I don't want to chainsaw some of the little bastards in half sometimes. Watching a student do something obviously self-destructive or self-sabotaging is one of the most frustrating th feelings a teacher can have. I sometimes wish there was some kind of intellectual cone, like the cone collars we put on puppy dogs to prevent them licking surgery wounds, we could place on a student to keep him or her from doing something harmful to him or herself. But, he said with a deep sigh, I guess that's what learning is, huh? Watching someone make a poor choice, even and especially one that he or she is going to regret, is hard. But if I have counseled and cajoled and compelled a student to make a better choice, and he or she, oh, let's be honest, he, makes it anyway, I can only be there to help the student in the aftermath. We give our best advice sometimes in the form of commands, and hope students learn from either following it 
or sometimes not following it. That's the human touch of teaching that no standardized test can bring. Well, anyway, back to school to proctor the rest of the CASP.